Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. How to become a better you. Everybody say, how to become a better you, a better me. Would you like to know how to become a better person, a better you, a better me? We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about that next Wednesday and the next Wednesday. I love three-part series because they don't, they don't get too lengthy. And you can, uh, you can make all three of them and, and make it a, a, a conglomerate in your life and have notes. And you want to take notes tonight. We have some things that you want to write down. We have a lot of stuff that will be on the board. And it will be a great thing for you to write down. I read about an Arab sheik out in California who, was a, who had a limousine that was 66 and a half feet long. True story. It was a white Lincoln Town car that could carry 36 passengers. It's in two pieces with a hitch in the middle, like a tractor trailer so it can bend around corners. It had five axles. A normal town car is 18 feet long. Most city buses are about 40 feet, but this baby is 66 and a half feet long. It has two fax machines. It has a cellular telephone. It has TV sets. It has love seats, and it has a microwave in it. It has satellite navigation system. And the furnishings include Waterford Crystal and imported China. The sheik uses the limousine when he visits the United States. The rest of the time, he leases it out. Now, folks, that may be what I call rich. He may have a little money. Harvard psychiatrist Robert Cole cites a characteristic he found to be common among the children of the rich. He calls it a sense of entitlement. He said, most children, he said, when asked what they will do when they grow up, will say something like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an attorney. I'd like to be a firefighter. They don't add if things work out, if the money can be found, or if I can pass the test. Those phrases are most of the time implied. The children of the rich, Cole said, tends to answer the same question this way. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a nuclear physicist. The implication here is, Whatever I want, I will get. Along with the sense of feeling everything is possible for them may go the feeling that they are entitled to take personal credit for things they they get only because of their money and because of their connections. It may may remind us of that devastating barb hurled by Ann Richards at George Bush at the Democratic Convention years ago when she said, He was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. That's funny. I don't care who you are. Anne was a unique character. Years ago, Charles Bray III, formerly Deputy Director of the United States Internal Communication Agency, put it this way. He said, we have come to a time where we say you deserve a break today. McDonald's has a commercial that says that. Too many of us believe that. If we're poor, we deserve welfare. If we're rich, we deserve a tax break. If we are workers, we deserve better fringe benefits. If we own Chrysler, we deserve a bailout. (laughs) If we are a special interest, we deserve a special hearing. 
Here's what I want to tell you. One of the greatest enemies of our culture today is the entitlement mentality. There's a, there's, a, there's a rule called the law of culpability. You have to take responsibility for your life. Amen? And when we realize that the world doesn't owe us anything, we're then able to focus on the incredible potential that God put within us to uncover and release the greatness that is within us. So I want to begin by asking ourselves, what does it mean to become a better you. What does it mean? First, you have to understand that God wants you to be everything that he created you to be. Secondly, realizing God will do his part, we must do our part as well because this is not all God and none of us. And it's not all of us and none of God. But God said, if you will, I will. I promise you, God is not the one in question here tonight. In this whole series that I'm going to teach, it's not God that's on the judgment seat here tonight. It's us. It's how we direct our lives. It's how we come to the conclusion of the matter. Because I promise you, God is always present. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. He is there for us. He will not turn his face from us. He will be there for us. Jesus said, I'll go with you all the way even to the end of the world. You don't have to worry about the God factor. We need to worry about our own factor. Amen? So, to become a better you, you must do seven things. You must keep pressing forward. Everybody say, press forward. You must be positive towards yourself. You must develop better relationships. You must form better habits. You must embrace the place where you are. Ooh, I'm going to teach that one of these nights. You must develop your inner life. And you must, you must, you must stay passionate about life. Let's do it again. You got to keep pressing. You got to be positive. You got to develop better relationships. You got to form better habits. You got to embrace the place where you are. You got to develop your inner life. And you must stay, you must stay passionate about life. Oh, I love to see the octogenarians of our church. I love to see the people pushing even 90 years of age that walk in here like they've got the world by the tail and they're still happy. And it bothers me when I see young people that's got everything in front of them acting like the world is at an end. You hear me. Somebody needs to reverse this thing and say, hey, kids, you've got everything in front of you. God is for you. The church is for you. Your family's for you. Your pastor's for you. Why don't you vote for yourself and be for yourself and see what God can do in your life? Amen? We want to be better people than we are. We want to go to a greater level of existence in ourselves with God. Amen? So, so first... We're going to talk about the essential absolute need to, everybody say, keep pressing forward. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. You've got to keep moving. You can't ever stop. You've got to keep walking. You've got to keep moving. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul said, I press on. Say, press on. We used to sing, walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be torn apart, walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. 
You will never, never, never walk alone. That song's so old, nobody recognizes it here. I don't have a, a, an eye of recognition in this house right now. That is a song that I've sung all my life because I know when I keep walking, I'm not walking by myself. I know when I keep moving forward and pressing forward, I will not do it by myself because God loves people that puts forth effort to keep pressing forward in their life. Amen? We won't get better unless we challenge ourselves and stretch ourselves to the next level. So the first point I'm going to make about keep pressing forward is this. Don't let your past victory become your last victory. Everybody say it. Don't let my past victory become my last victory. Keep pressing forward. I love the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright who designed many beautiful buildings and homes and bridges and magnificent structures. And toward the end of his career, a reporter asked him, of your many famous designs, which one is your favorite? And without missing a beat, Frank Lloyd Wright answered, my next one. My next one. The best that I've got is still in me. I wanted to tell you something, folks, and I've said it before. I have not preached my best sermon. Somebody has not written their best song. This church has not seen its greatest days. Our greatest days are not behind us. They are still ahead of us. And even though Frank Lloyd Wright was incredibly successful, he was still pressing forward, still anticipating greater days that were ahead. Let me ask you a question. What's next for you? Are you assuming your best days are all behind you? Or do you believe some of your best days are ahead of you? Let me hear you. Are you looking forward and expecting great things in your life? I don't care if you're 50 or 5. I'm telling you the past is not where you belong. You've got to keep pressing forward. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep going forward because the best is still yet to come in your life. Clap your hands and rejoice. I often hear, I often hear people make excuses for being stuck in the same place. You know, I'm stuck in the same place, and I love when they say stuff like, I've achieved a lot in my life. Yeah? Okay. I'm better off than most. How you doing? Well, I can't complain. I went further than anyone ever expected. But God never performs his greatest feats in your yesterday. It's always today and tomorrow. I want to tell you a great story. Her name is Frances Hasselbein. Look her up. Google her. Frances Hasselbein. That's with an E-S, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, H-E-S-S-E-L-B-E-I-N. At age 65, get this now, at age 65, she became a Girl Scout troop leader. <laughs> How would you like to have that grandma? <laughs> Faithfully, for 10 years, she was a Girl Scout troop leader till she was 75. Then she was selected as the CEO of Girl Scouts of America. At 75. Stay with me now. And she was given credit to turning the Girl Scouts around. And she led 2.5 million girls, 750,000 volunteers, a paid staff of 30,000 for 14 years. Are you following me? Are you doing the math? Now she teaches leadership at West Point, 96 years young. <laughs> Terry Smith. One of my buddies in Orange, West Orange, New Jersey, who used to preach for us over in the old building, had her come speak to his staff 
And after she spoke, a Q&A session came up, and one staff member raised his hand and asked one of those stupid questions, you know. There's always one in the bunch. said, can you tell us how old you are, ma'am? She said, where I come from, young man, we don't discuss age. For to discuss age is to speak the language of the past. If you are called to serve, you know what you should be doing. And when you get through with that, there will be something else waiting on you. That's my philosophy of life. I want everybody here to push the reset button and forget how old you are and forget how young you are and forget what's happened in your past. For to speak of age is reflecting on yesterday. And the greatest time that God has for us is still ahead for us. 96 years old and still teaching West Point cadets. And she's telling them how to lead and how to be leaders in the army of the United States of America. I bet she's tough. Your lives get better the minute you realize there's no future in your past. And the minute you decide not to waste one more day of your life regretting yesterday, rehearsing yesterday, nursing and cursing yesterday, because God never performs his greatest feats in your yesterday. He'll always perform his greatest feats in your todays and in your tomorrows. Clap your hands and say amen to that. I believe that. The second thing in this pressing forward, you've got to overcome your negative history. You have to overcome your negative history. Man is pretty much born negative. Boy, I'm, I must be hitting somebody tonight because there's not a whole lot of response. There's, not a, there's some people out there that's getting MAD at the P-R-E-A-C-T-R. And maybe you're struggling today because the people before you made some bad choices. Maybe your parents made some choices that wasn't good. Maybe you were in a family, maybe an adopted family, that the choices that were made were not good. And it's hard sometimes to overcome those choices. Somebody asked one time, what's worse or what's better, to have the blood of someone or have the environment? What's, what's the best that you can have? The blood of someone or the environment of so, where you are? In other words, your birth parents, if you don't have them, or your adopted parents. What's the greatest thing to do of the two? Which would you prefer? And many people fuss and argue about it. They say, well, it has to be the blood factor because a king will always know he's a king. That's not true necessarily. But then some people say, well, it's got to be the environment. And you can fuss about it and argue about it all you want to, but there's one thing you can do about it. It does not matter what your past blood says because when you come to know the Lord, you've got a brand new father. And it does not matter what your environment was. When you come to the church, you've got a brand new mother. So it's time for us to quit blaming our yesterday and our negative thinking about what happened yesterday because God still can cure generational curses in your life. Oh, I want to skip a little bit on that one. Hallelujah. Just because your mama was don't mean you are. Just because your daddy was don't mean you are. You're a child of God. You've been born again. You've been washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit. 
You've got to keep pressing forward and overcome the negative yesterdays. But here's the good news. Every right decision we make, every time we honor God, when we do the right thing, not only are we making life better for ourselves, but we're making it a little easier for the generation coming after us. So mom and dad, if you came from parents, you came from an environment that did not make the right choices, it's all right. You got a chance to start right now to make the proper choices for your children, to make the proper calls for your little kids, to make the beautiful call that says, you know what, my kids are not going to go through what I had to go through. I'm going to show them that there is something real and powerful and genuine about making right choices in life. And when they see the choices we make, they'll emulate the choices we make and they'll make the right choices. You hear me? It does work that way. That's how it works. So one of the greatest tragedies in the history of our nation was the events of September 11, 2001. And I've talked about this before. I have used this before. When terrorists flew planes into the World Trade Center, and our country has responded in a lot of different ways, but I think one of the best responses happened when the United States Navy took seven and a half tons of steel from the New York's fallen World Trade Center and built a warship designed for missions that include special operations against terrorism. Wow. Steel from the World Trade Center was melted down in a foundry in Louisiana and when it was poured into molds September 9, 2003, those big old strong steel workers treated it with total reverence. The USS New York is being built or was built with a sense of purpose by every hand that touched it. And the ship's motto was, never forget. Our ship, one naval ship captain said, it's a big meaning to all of us. They knocked us down, but they can't keep us down. We're going to be back. And America has come back. I don't care how bad your biggest knockdown was. It's not how many times you get knocked down in the fight. It's how many times you get back up. It's how many times you stand back up. The difference between a saint and a sinner is not how many times he falls, but how many times he gets back up. Rejoice not against me, O oh mine enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Oh, hallelujah. What a joy we have. I make my choice to not allow negative thinking to destroy my future. When we get knocked down in life, it will determine if we will get better. We have a choice to make. We can lay down, stay down, or we can keep pressing forward. In Luke 5. Jesus comes to the shore and he sees Pete out there and he says, Peter, you caught anything? He said, sir, we fished all night and have caught nothing. We've toiled. And he says to him, launch out into the deep. What the problem is, Pete, you've been fishing in too shallow water. Sometimes in your life, you've got to go deep with him. You've got, you got to go to a place where the water's over your head. Because until you get to a place where you can trust him with your family, with your finances, 
Do I need to stop there? Can I go on? With the fruit of your labor, with your failing health, when you can trust him, when you get out of the shallow end of the pool and get into the deep water and understand that I can't make this because I really don't know how to swim in this big old ocean, but there's a hand that's going to buoy you. You've got to trust the hand that's going to buoy you. He's going to be your balance. He's going to be your strength. He's going to be your uplift. And you've got to understand, you may know how to walk around in the shallow, shallow end of the pool and say, wow, isn't this wonderful? But you'll never learn trust until you get out into the deep, Peter. And when he launched out in the deep, the Bible said he caught a great net of fish. And the nets break because it wouldn't hold them. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Somewhere in this next three weeks, some of you are going to have to say, you know what, Pastor? I've been trying to do all this by myself. I'm ready to launch my ministry. I'm ready to launch my calling. I'm ready to launch my, 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 my job. I'm ready to launch my family. I'm ready to launch my future. I'm ready to launch some things in my life because I want God to bless our family. I'm tired of being a sideliner. I want to be a person on the field participating in the battle. Amen. 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 Somebody said, you know, Pastor, new levels mean new devils. Well, big deal. Let me tell you about something about the devil that maybe you don't know. He don't have any creative power. None. None. So, here's the deal. A new level, new devil, okay. Really, it's the same old devil. He's just trying to catch you. And he's got the same old bag of tricks. He hasn't got anything new. So don't help him. Because you have creative power. Don't help him. Don't help him. Don't say, oh, God, if those people would quit talking about me, that's all he's going to remind you of for the rest of your days. Oh, God, if my husband, that's all he's going to tell you the rest of your days. You'll never make it because your husband. You'll never make it because people talk. You'll never make it because somebody said something about you. He, ain't, he don't have anything new to bring to the table. He listens to you, then he just records it and rehearses it and brings it back to you like an echo. Here's what I want to tell you. When you step to that other level, that greater level, you just leave those things behind and say, you know what? I'm pressing on. I'm pressing forward. I'm going to quit and leave the negative things behind, and I'm going to grab a hold of some positive things and be what God wants me to be. Clap your hands and rejoice. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. The second thing, we're going to just talk about two of them tonight. The second thing that I want to tell you, be positive. Everybody say, be positive towards yourself. Say, be positive towards yourself. And the first point I want to make under that is strive to be better without becoming negative towards yourself. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar calls it stinking thinking. He said most people need a checkup from the neck up. I love it. He's dead and gone. Lord, I miss him. I love Zig Ziglar. I used to go and want to run the aisles when he talked. Zig Ziglar motivated me. He's talking about people who has an approach to life with a negative attitude. Have you ever been around somebody that can't say anything good? 
Have you ever been one of them people? Got quiet then, didn't it? Oh, I've been around those kind. That second question kind of got you, didn't it? You don't need to give place to the devil. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. Don't let him put his pinky in your door. Don't let him put his big toe in your door. Slam it on him. Don't allow hell to come into your house. You may have to rebuke and rebuke and rebuke and rebuke until you're hoarse. But once he realizes that he's not going to come in and take over your mind, take over your house, take over your dwelling place, he is going to look for someplace else. He will. The Bible refers to the enemy as the accuser of the brethren who is constantly bringing accusations against us, telling us what we didn't do or what we should have done. And the voice in our heads causes us to live in constant guilt and constant shame and condemnation. Now hear me. We say things like, I'm not as spiritual as I should be. Well, who is? When you get there, we're going to have your funeral. You ready to go to heaven? Huh. Yeah, you don't want on that next train, though, do you? I didn't work hard enough this week. Who does? We all got little places where we can hide out and drink a cup of coffee. I even got one of them right here at the church. God can't bless a person with a past like mine. Why don't you quit talking like that? I don't deserve to be happy after what I've done. None of us are deserving. It's not about us being deserving. It's about him taking the load of sin to himself and saying, I'm going to die for them so they can have what I brought to them, and that's life, and that more abundant. God wants to give abundant life in this place, abundant life. And at the beginning of this year, why don't we just grasp that and say, I'm tired of being negative to myself. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. One doctor said it this way, a French doctor named Emile Coyier. He said something quite profound. He said, when the will comes in conflict with the imagination, the imagination invariably carries the day. It always wins. When the right brain fights the left brain, when the right brain of imagination fights the left brain of will and logic, imagination always carries. In other words, when your will, your rationale, your logical self comes in conflict with your imagination, your creative right brain self, your imagination always wins. Put simply, your imagination is the key. Case in point, I don't care how many times you tell a kid if he's scared to go to bed in that dark room, there's no monsters under the bed. 
He's going to check it before he climbs in to the bed. He may not do it in front of you, but he's going to check it. I can testify that personally. Not only did I check under the bed, I checked the closet. Not only did I check the closet, I checked the door. I used to put, when I was a young evangelist and having to stay in churches, I used to put knives in the door. That was my deadboat locks. Because I'd heard spirits came to churches. And I didn't have a wife to hide behind at that time. I'm confessing. I wish some of y'all would. Because I, I had some fear in those, in those areas. I had some fear in those things. But God gave me victory because I learned how to cast down those imaginations and everything that exalted itself against the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You've got to cast it down. You've got to understand that my logic is going to win the day, not my imagination. There's a lot of people that have imaginations that just run wild. They think everybody don't like them. They make one mistake. Oh, nobody likes me, so I'm not coming back to church no more. I tell you, I tell you. There's a town in Norway named Hell. And a couple of Lutherans from the United States visited Hell, Norway sometime back. Then sent a postcard to their pastor back home. He read it at a meeting of his ministerial association and it broke up the group. It said, Dear Pastor, we passed through hell today and we're very concerned. Almost everyone here seems to be Lutheran. I said that to tell you this. You may have to pass through hell, but you don't have to stop in hell. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil. I'm going to walk through it. I'm not going to stay in it. You may have to go through hell on your job, go through hell in relationships with all your family members, but you don't have to stay there. Don't dwell on the negative. Don't let negative things bring you down. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. He said, the things I know I should do, I don't. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. Even this great man of God who wrote half the New Testament struggled in this regard. That tells me that God doesn't disqualify me because I don't perform 100%. I'm not a perfect being. I wish I were, but I don't do wrong on purpose. But one of the greatest allies in becoming a better me is me. I stand up and say, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going on. I'm going forward preaching a camp one night in Pennsylvania and the lights went out total darkness I couldn't see my hand it was the most abject darkness I'd been in in a long time Causebed Cavern is a, is, a, is a wonderful example of the abject darkness I was in and I couldn't see my hand and somebody said preach on brother <laughs> and I said I would if I could see you and they stood there, sat there, acted like they wanted me to preach. So I just, I just had to change subjects because the notes that I had, the things that I had in front of me were uh, something that I was moving into and I didn't want to miss a point in it. And so I just started preaching, Jesus loves you. Listen, when it gets dark, And you don't know what to do or what to say or what to think. 
just throw away the notes and say, Jesus loves me. This I know. Woo. Somebody clap your hands. For the Bible tells me so. Randy sung it tonight. I believe it. I must believe in me. I need to be positive to me. Say it, amen. amen. I can't be a better me if me is always pulled down and discouraged and wallowing in guilt and condemnation. Strive to be better without becoming negative towards yourself. And then the last point I want to bring tonight is have confidence in the person that you are. Have confidence. Some time ago, Time Magazine reported on a nervous motorist in Lambertsville, New Jersey. You're going to love this little story. This man being stopped by the police explained that he had been driving on 224 consecutive learner's permits over the last 25 years. You know why? He had flunked his first driver's test and had been unsure of himself ever since. Let me just say at the end of this first study, get your license. Go ahead and get your driver's license. You can pass the driver's test. You can make it down this road of life. You can win. God didn't make you to flunk 224 driver's tests. He wants to get you a permit in your hand that is permanent. I don't care how many times you have flunked. Go again. Go again. Go again. We all have inside ourselves an image of ourselves. And that image can be poor or that image can be good. What do you see when you see yourself? Do you see a poor image or do you see a good image? We get better when our self-image gets better. Here's a question. Did you know that our self-image will help or hinder God's plan for our lives? And when we see ourselves as unimportant, when we see ourselves as inadequate and incompetent, we sabotage what God wants to do through us in our lives. We have to see ourselves as strong. Everybody say strong. strong. See yourself as capable. capable. See yourself as competent. competent. See yourself as smart. smart. There's more than just grade smart. There's a lot of great smart people that don't have any common sense. Get you some common sense and walk on. Just live for God. God's gifted me. Say it. God's placed me. The world needs me. My family needs me. My church needs me. I need me to be my best. Amen. Amen. Having confidence in yourself is not for the purpose of replacing your confidence in God, but for the purpose of demonstrating your confidence in God. Ed McMahon used to say, here's Johnny. Many of you don't know his story. Let me tell you his story in closing. Ed McMahon refused to succumb to the low self-confidence that was established in him when he was a boy. His dad was a traveling salesman, and he went to 15 schools in his life before he graduated. And every time he went to a new school, whether it's New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, 
whether it was down in Florida, wherever he went, he had to get used to the lingo of the new school. And they always made fun of Ed. They always made fun of him because he couldn't talk the language of where he was until it was time for him to leave. Then he had learned that language and he was transferred back someplace else. But Ed's father taught him this. He said no matter how unfamiliar or how uncomfortable a situation is, you've got to get this. He said, my dad told me, always try to look like I was supposed to be there. I want every one of you to say, I always will try to look like I'm supposed to be here. You are supposed to be here. Get that in your head. You belong in this church. You belong in this world. God didn't make a oops when he made you. You are special to God. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalms 139 and 14. Apostle Paul said, the things I know I should do, I don't. The things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. But he also said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The thing you have to do in your life is to have confidence in yourself. Confidence in yourself. Confidence in yourself. When you walk into a room, you don't have to look down. You look right into the eyes of people, not belligerently, not down your nose at them, but you look right at them because God wanted you here at this time. This is your hour. This is your time. Be the best you can be for God. Be the strongest you can be for God. Don't let let yesterday's negativity destroy what you are today. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing forward. Because we're going to become great, great people in the kingdom of God. And God wants to take us to another level. And to another dominion. And to another realm of the spirit. Amen. I want you to hold your hands out and say, I receive that, Pastor. Would you see it right now? I receive it in the name of the Lord. Say, I receive it. I receive it right now. Worship him. Worship the Lord right now, little. Amen. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. Amen. I receive it. I receive it. I will become a better me. I will. Amen. That's what these next two Wednesday nights are going to be about. Becoming a better you. Amen. Well, Pastor, that's not real spiritual. Well, mm. <laughs> somebody, somebody asked me one time. I'm fixing to get myself in trouble after teaching a good lesson. I'm fixing to get myself in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyhow. If you had to choose what kind of people you want in your church, what kind would you want? And I said, I want real people. People that understand, that understand something, that they make mistakes. People that don't see themselves as super spiritual, above everybody, so they can judge other people. I want real people. And you know what God's done? He's given us a church in Austin, Texas of real people. Let's be the best real 
Amen. Let's be the best real people we can be. Stand to your feet, you're awesome people. Boy, you ought to be proud of me. It's not even 8.45 and I'm done. With a popping microphone. We'll have this fixed by Sunday. We won't have no more of that. That's all gone. In fact, Brother Jaron, my son-in-law, wants to get me a whole new piece up here for my head. Something that'll fit this bald head. Without me having to pull on it all the time. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to, I want you to contemplate and remember the words that have been spoken tonight to your heart. Because I feel very confident that God has instructed me to bring the word to you. And to let the word infiltrate your soul and into your spirit and make us better, better people. You see, if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always gotten. And it's time, it's really time, it's really time that we make adjustments. Adjustments. Even a rocket that shoots toward the moon has to have mid-course corrections. And we're aiming high in our life, but we need mid-course corrections. We need corrections in our spirit that says, God, I don't have all this figured out. But the pastor and the word of God is going to help me. And I'm going to be at Bible study the next two weeks because I want to, I want to become a better me. I want to become a better person. I want to stand up for what's right. I want to love what you hate what you hate. I want to understand what the difference is. God, I love you. Now throw your hands, just put your hands in the air. And in your own prayer, thank him for the word of the Lord tonight. Would you do it right now? Thank him. I love you, Jesus. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.